You're listening to the Fox in the Phoenix podcast, understanding the feminine cross-dressing experience. I'm Savannah Hawk, dual gender male to female crossdresser, LGBTQ plus advocate, TEDx speaker, and author of the Living with Crossdressing book series. And I'm Julie Rubenstein, proud ally and co-founder of BoxandHanger.com, a feminine styling and life coaching service for cross-dressers and transgender women. Hey, Julie. Hi, Savannah. How are you? Good. I'm still chuckling about our conversation previously to pressing record when I said, remember when your ass was like a thing? Yeah. I mean, your ass still is a thing, but like, remember it was like a thing in the beginning of our friendship and this journey where it would be something that I discuss a lot. Yeah. So now the magic is over. Now it's, it's not just, over. It, it's like just any other ass you might find on the streets. <laughs> it's not. It really isn't. And especially in that micro mini pleather skirt you're wearing today. Whoa, 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 Hello. Whoop, 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 whoop. I could do a compliment, by the way. Yeah, I kind of run through before I leave the house to get Judy's yay or nay, kind of like gauge gauge how she feels about it. But I've worn this before, cowl neck blouse with uh, like white flowers and a black feels kind of cap sleeve. And I have those leather skirts, got boots and my leather jacket with the hood. So she gave me the thumbs up uh, to leave the house. Then when I went to Starbucks, I was getting my drink and I got my bag and my purse. It was crowded today, number one. I was like surprised. I think it's because it's rainy. Everybody was indoors. So I finally found a seat. And I didn't want to be too close to everybody because you know, nobody wants to, like somebody to be sit, sitting right next to them. So I tried to find a little spot that was equidistant. And as soon as I sat down, the woman next to me goes, oh, my God, I really love your outfit. And I'm like, oh, my God, thank you so much. And then I don't know. Yeah, I never know, like, once they hear my voice. If they're like, oh, shit. Did the or, pupils dilate? <laughs> well, I didn't really look, but I, I said, oh, my God, you're so sweet. Thank you so much. And then she turned back and started working on her thing. So I don't know if the voice was like, oh, shit, I didn't know. But the fact that she saw me from across the room walking her way in this ensemble uh, just is testament that uh, I'm fashionable. And somebody had enough in them to make a comment about it. So I'm happy. You got the cis female societal approval. Well, yes. cis assuming, right? That's what the cool kids say. Is that cis what they're saying? <laughs> I guess. I, I, I could definitely. She was. I could definitely assume she was cis uh, in all ways. That was kind of the, the vibe I got for sure. It wasn't getting any trans vibe. Although yesterday, Judy and I went to Chipotle for a quick like, hey, let me take you out to get something. We were going to do Copper River and as soon as we got to the exit from our community, we saw this massive line of cars going towards where we wanted to go. So both the places we had on our docket to go, I said, nope, not going to Copper River, not going to Applebee's. We're going left to go to Outback. We get to Outback. Judy jumps out of the car, runs inside. And I'm like, okay, let me go find a spot. As soon as I parked the car and got out of the car, she was getting in the car. Uh, and I'm, I'm like, wait, what, what just happened? She's like, it is a mob in there. So we're like, okay, what should we do? So we decided on Chipotle and there was um, a non-binary person um, presenting female, big eyelashes, long, like super colorful, bright pink braided hair and just doing her thing. So it was all good. 
Nice. Yeah. And remember, folks, I'm in South Carolina, y'all. So right. to see that say. in a workplace is like, whoa, wait, what, huh? So. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a thing. I mean, yeah. Hey, I grew up in a very white neighborhood when I was a kid. And as soon as the first African-American person bought a house in the entire city yeah. of our small town, it was like gasps and clutching pearls. So trust me, I grew up in an environment that was very much white and I didn't even see cultural diversity for probably my mid twenties. But to be fair, to be fair, this was something I used to be observant of maybe five years ago. And I think that whatever has happened in the past five years, there's been a shift. And I know Remy's public school is very colorful. Yeah, I'm very pleased. So it's progress and I'm happy. Yeah. And I don't know how true this is. I saw this on my Yahoo feed this morning that in California, and you probably can let me know how close or off the mark I am, but in California, they passed the third gender bill, I guess. Um, again, I didn't read into it. So, um, you know, stay tuned for what may come. So third gender bill and also adding LGBTQ plus to the uh, K to 12 curriculum, like mm. st- study of gender and study of. Yes. And it was and basically from what I read, the little bit I read was saying, you know, we want to include this in our curriculum because we want people to be exposed to this as part of the culture, to be to allow it to be normalized and for people to be growing up in an environment where it's not seen as stigma. Yeah. And I just, I talk about this a lot with my therapist. There is like no other state where I'd rather be like just no other place, even in my fantasies where I'd rather live just based on a lot of updated current ways of living and loving and how things should be. So I am very proud of the state of California very much. So, um, but I, I do know we have a pretty awesome topic for today. But before we get into the topic, Savannah, I would love to share something that I came across on Instagram. And it is by one of our listeners, Jennifer Marie. And her Instagram, for those of you who don't follow her, is love, L-U-V, Jennifer Marie. And she put a post today with a lovely black and white picture of her. That reads, today marks the last week. The last week of what? The last week of living home with my wife. I appreciate everyone's support and cheering us on. And while I am excited to be able to be the person I was born to be, it's really sad that I can't do it with my partner by my side. It's going to be a really hard week for both of us. So as I said before, please send prayers and positive thoughts our way this week. This is going to be a difficult and necessary week for us all. Now, I know for a fact that by the time this episode airs, it is not in real time. It is a little bit later, but let us as a podcast send her so much luck, so much love, so much thoughts this week and beyond as she starts her new home as her female self as her authentic self. And Savannah and I, I know I can speak for you, Savannah, as someone who has known Jennifer Marie from the very start of our podcast, we are thinking of you and we send so much love and 
yes, 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 yes to your new life. And we, we know that marriages ending and partnerships being fractured because of being our authentic self from a trans perspective is something that is a really hard reality. And that is a truth for many members of our community. And we just want to say we love you so much and that we are thinking of you. Yes, I totally agree. And also sending love and support to their wife, soon to be former. You know, we can't leave her out of the equation. I'm not going to make judgment on the reasons behind any of it because we don't know all the details, but, you know, wishing them both the best and to live both of their best lives. And that's most important. Yep. And a blessing and a prayer for smooth and loving co-parenting in the future and hopefully a better, stronger partnership, just looking slightly different. Yep. Agreed. Totally agree. Okay. So let us get in. It is your topic today, and I'm really excited to get right into the nitty gritty. The well, I mean, gritty. There, there's going to be a nitty gritty, and I don't know how excited I am to talk about it, but I will tell you it is something that was kind of mind blowing for me as a, a, a therapeutic aside. Mm. Uh, uh, talking it well, we'll get into it. So, uh, yeah, it was kind of mind blowing, and it really was again almost in a casual way said to me during therapy. And I was kind of like, oh, shit, that seems very true. So the topic I want to talk about today is my discovery of all the things I subconsciously did growing up that led me to be the person I am today. So that's it it is juicy. It is juicy. Let me let me frame it for you. Because everybody's like, wait, I don't know what that even entails. I'm not even sure I know what it even entails. But what it does entail is I am by nature, as far as I know, I am by nature uh, very introspective. I'm very quiet. I'm very non-confrontational. I tend to be able to see a lot of solutions for social type of things where I can kind of see 20 different things very quickly as it could kind of roll out. Ironically, of course, like with all of us, it's easier to do it for others than it is for myself in that way. But typically, I can find 20 different ways around something, whatever the topic or essence is, uh, very quickly. Even before you finish stating your case, I'm already like calculating all these, you know, risk right? Like a beautiful things. mind. Yeah, like, like definitely. Oh, yeah. I am also crowing at all out in the world with all these calculations in the air. Right. Absolutely. Perspectives. Um, That's something you're yeah. really into is perspectives is like the flip side of the coin or another angle of it. Well, uh, yes, but also no, because I can be very stubborn as a Taurus. Mm. I can be very stubborn and set my ways. And while I can be empathetic many times, sometimes I'm all just ingrained in my own little shit, right? I'm in my own muck. Uh, so <laughs> there's that. Just, yeah, just being quiet, just being introspective. All these things that I am, or I, I stated as my qualities to our therapist. And she said, huh, that probably came to a head a lot because of what you went through as a child. And I sat there going, huh, that seems completely logical. And I never thought about it. So the point I wanted yeah. to make today is that every one of us see ourselves in a certain way. In this moment, in our adulthood, in our moment, we see ourselves as all, as all these things. 
And I never did therapy before now. I never saw a counselor. I really never did anything like, because I was concerned about who I was. No, I was never had that concern. So why would I see a therapist for something I'm completely happy with who I am? There was no reason to be like, let me go figure out why I am the way I am because I'm happy with the way I am. And And you know a lot about why you are the for the most part, right? right up until right. this moment. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, but that was like, I never thought about the past, right? As how it affects my present. I always mm-hmm. thought about how I became who I am in spite of the things in my past. That's always how I cling to it. Maybe it's the reason why I'm positive more so is that I became the person I am in spite of my parents, in spite of my upbringing, in spite of the conservative nature of where I grew up. All those things I felt like I overcame to become my truth. But what I didn't assume is all these things that I am because of my upbringing and the conservative nature of my surroundings and my religion and my parents. All those things I I kind of put out of my mind suddenly came to a quick boil when the therapist said that to me. So, yeah. um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna list off just the things that that kind of came to light as a result. Why am I so introspective? Why am I so quiet? Why do I kind of sit back in a room a little bit to kind of suss out the the situation? It's because it's just a measure of self-preservation. I grew up as a child knowing my parents would fully disapprove of my pre-named Savannah self and knowing that as a fact of my upbringing, I kept it quiet. I kept it hidden. I kept it closeted. I kept it to myself knowing I had to preserve my survival Yeah, because I didn't want to be ostracized from my parents. I wanted my parents to love me. So the first thing I did when that knowledge came to a head was oh, I'm going to just never talk about this because I don't want my parents to hate me. So what did you do? You put it away, you hide it, you keep it secretive, you keep it in the closet. You become something a little bit different than your truth because that other part of you, the, you know, the masculine boy, boyish part of me, they love that. They would say, yeah, great job. You know, all the things they found to be normal in me was okay to be because you knew you got positive affirmation that way. There was putting up the walls, uh, being able to see the scenarios very quickly in order to assure my self-preservation. If I ever went through my mother's panty drawer, I would always make sure everything was put back just so, knowing that I didn't want to be found out. So you, you start like kind of seeing things in a different way that way. Like you see this kind of big picture thing, making sure that all angles are covered. Um, yeah, just a lot of things I never thought about. As I grew up, I mean, I know I I knew I was secretive. I knew I was closeted. I got that part of it, but really never thought about all those mechanisms I had created as a direct result of trying to protect myself as a child. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating how someone can say something in therapy that is so profound, yet so obvious, yet we haven't really looked at it in that way. And that one statement is so in our face and we wonder like, why haven't we seen it that way? Yeah. Why, why, why now? And I'm sure it's humbling for someone like you that is so, not only do you know yourself really well, you, you really understand and have compassion for a lot of different ways of thinking 
and ways of believing and ways of loving. So you can have a real compassionate heart for, for all these different ways of existing. And when it comes to being in therapy as someone who considers herself a lifelong member and someone who is very much working towards convincing my younger self that the world will not end if I see my therapist once a month versus every other week, it will not end. And I don't, I don't know. It's, it can be really profound therapy. Oh, it definitely was. I mean, it wasn't because that's not, it wasn't even the point of that moment in therapy. It was just like an observation she made and I was really blown away by it and then realized, oh shit, everything I have done subconsciously, I create these mechanisms were part of just my primal brain. So I never thought about it. I just felt like, oh, I've always been Russell Crowe in a beautiful mind. No, I wasn't. I just was forced to evolve my primal brain to do that because of who I was and in my situation. And survival. Yeah. It's primal. It's survival. It's fight or flight. All those um, defense mechanisms, all the times that you get um, as, as Judy says, your lid is flipped or all all the times that you feel like you don't know why something is so, feels so traumatic. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense. And I know for you, like you're very much that logical brain where, well, this and this happens. So I have no idea why my reaction is so big. Am I sick? No. Like just going down that methodical checklist when really, you know, 30 years ago, you could have bumped your knee at the same time and it just hit up against a trauma that you were not expecting to have this explosive reaction that goes beyond logic and reason. You can't measure it with checks and balances. You can't process your way out of it necessarily. And that's why trauma therapy can be really helpful for individuals that are trans or have an upbringing where they did associate a lot. They did things to be liked or checked out. Like all those are trauma responses. Oh, well, if I do X, Y, and Z, even though my heart and my person is ABC, well, then it's going to get this result. And with trauma and with conditioning, it's not calculated like that. It's tricky. Oh, no. And I do have some, I have like three major triggers that I'm fully aware of. Again, as we all know, our triggers are also primal. They're also based on trauma. They're also based on a lifetime or a childhood full of instances and scenarios that led to that thing being built, that that trauma, that trigger. And I'm aware of it. And I've done some digging as like, why do I feel that way? I definitely know it when it comes to Savannah. Anytime that I feel like Savannah is being invalidated, that's fairly obvious to me. It's like, you know, I want to be validated. I want to be loved. I want to be equal. In all things, you know, I shouldn't be ostracized just for the clothing I wear and the expression I'm presenting. So in that way, that's pretty obvious. But there's other things like being taken advantage of or the feeling of being taken advantage of. If I do things because I'm trying to be a good person or I feel I'm a good person, and then people start just taking that as, oh, wait, he'll do it. She'll do it. Yeah, they'll just do it, no question. And then it's like, well, wait, you know, why am I feeling like you're taking advantage of my kindness? So there's, I'm sure, some serious underlying things that could be discussed there. And I don't, this sounds like therapy. Uh, The third thing is 
Dr. Julie, is yeah. I know that I'm also, if I feel like I'm being made to feel stupid mm-hmm. or uh, I yeah. did something like I did it my way, but yet somebody's telling me how I should have done a different way that also will, uh, as you said, flip my lid a little bit. Yeah. I had an old girlfriend where I would sweep the floor and I was just trying to do the right thing and be nice and do like a little act of service. And I got chastised for the way I swept the floor. And my answer was, did the floor not get swept? Is it not clean? Why are you telling me how I should have done it? Because you would have done it a different way. Why do I have to do it that same way if the results are the same? It was a whole thing. And I was like, So that was two things at once. I'm like, I'm made to feel stupid because I wasn't doing it the right way. And you're giving me crap about something I did trying to be nice and I'm being taken advantage of, but still doing it wrong. So yeah, trust me, I get my moments. I am not perfection at all, Dr. Rubenstein. First of all, (laughs) not a doctor. Um, But I feel like, especially as biological men are given permission from society or we're breaking down this idea men can feel Mm. holy shit right (laughs) men can feel and then you have the idea of the masculine and the feminine coming together this this brain this being that is both and then holy shit you come to realize that we're not so different humans are humans and we have real feelings and and real emotions and every single bit of trauma it, it kind of brushes up against us and it creates patterns that then re-imprint now in our, in our day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's a lot when it comes to cross-dressing that involves insecurity. You're yeah. facing your insecurity head on, right? You're, you're already in conflict with kind of your biology. So already there's this idea, and I very much understand this for someone who went through the public school system for a very long time with a learning disability, is the idea that everyone else got the memo except for you, mm-hmm. right? So you're already feeling insecure, like you're you're proving, you have to prove something wrong. So when you're dual gender, when you're transgender, when you're cross-dressing, already you have that internalized stuff that says, you're stupid. You got it wrong. You're not supposed to get it right. We will do everything to show you that you're not going to get it right. So even if you, Savannah, follows all the logical steps of doing your makeup, for example, doing your eyeshadow, you get it and you got really good at it due to the fact that you're like, oh, this is great. These are steps. And I am going to master this for my face and it's awesome and I'm great. And then you meet someone like me and I come to your house and I visit you. And before I visit you, you say to me, Hey, it would be really great if you did my makeup because, (laughs) you know, I'd love for you to just do my makeup, assuming that because of my biology and because I got somehow the girl memo that I'm going to be better than you because I'm just who I am because you have that insecurity. The point is you are better than me at makeup. The point is you have passed the test and and done it right. But there's the idea you are somehow wrong, even though you have all the tools, you follow the videos, you've been practicing. So every part of your marrow and your being is getting it right. Yet the person inside says, no, you're not. You're not getting it right. Not only are you stupid, but you're never going to look the way you deserve to look. 
or the way your authentic self should look. It's like that double mirror. You know yeah. what I mean? That, yeah. well, that fun house mirror. Yeah. In the case that you just did. Yeah. I always just assume that no matter how good I am at applying makeup, you come to visit and I'm like, oh, I want you to do my makeup. And you're like, girl, you do makeup a thousand times better than me because I don't put on makeup as often as you. Or, you know, I just put a splash of this and a dab of that and I'm done. It's like, I'm not doing makeover counters at Ulta. So in my eyes, yeah, I just assume that the cis female is going to know how to do makeup a hundred times better than me. And you're sitting there going, no, no, really, Savannah, I want you to do my makeup when I come to see you because you obviously right. do it all the time. So, yeah, that is that is a failing, just assuming that somebody who is, again, got the memo, uh, knows how to do it superiorly than, than what I do. You know, I probably put more painstake to it. Like, you know, for me, passing is protection. Yeah. You know, not being clocked is cover. Well, I can just come up with all sorts of puns here. Blending in is bulletproof. Yeah. yeah. The reason why I do what I do for two reasons. One, I'm very, as I said before, I'm very binary in my non-binariness. I want to be passable. I want to be seen as a woman when I'm out in public. I don't want to be seen as androgyny or as a gender or anything that's like kind of a blend of both. I'm not going to go out with a beard and makeup. That's just not me. That's just not my definition of my gender identity. So for me, passing is what I need to do. And as a result of that, because that is what I need to do, all those things were super, super important for my protection. So that especially down here, especially in the daytime, especially under a harsh fluorescence, you know, I want somebody to just see me as a woman. Okay, sure. Fine. My voice will give me away. If I'm overly concerned, but I'm not, as long as I can move around society quietly and covertly, then I'm doing what I need to do. Yeah. And and when we trace that back, that moment, or what you just said, back in time to your childhood, we think back to like, what can we relate that to? What does that feel like? What does that sound like? Does it sound like a time where, you know, you would get there, I'm making this up based on what you have told me, would it be a time where you'd go to school and you wore, you know, the female snow boots and you would get teased <laughs> Yes. or back, back in time where I remember for me, and you, you could probably relate to this, where I'd get hand-me-downs three generations removed. So they would be hand-me-downs that would be in fashion at some point, but then as it moved through another household and finally get to my family they would not be in style. The colors of Benetton will not be in style by the time they get to me. And there's something about trends is, especially it feels like in the eighties and early nineties is once they end, they end. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's true. So yeah. if you're in the eighties and you're busted out the, the studio 54 in 1989, it just feels like, no, just no. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like mm-hmm. a lot of times transitioning can feel it is very much a second half adolescence and very much this strive for perfection and this idea of quote getting it right mm-hmm. or passing or getting the approval society's approval and you know getting the thumbs up or getting the a plus it brushes up against our trauma in a way that's like getting hit in that same spot And that's why it feels so high stakes. It's why it feels like when Judy gives you like a side thumbs up or she's not sure, or, 
she's questioning if it's too sexy and you're kind of defending it. It's that fight or flight kind of childhood trauma that's just revving up again. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I will be in a certain, (laughs) this particular week, it was a hormonal state, but where (laughs) something is, is brought up to me that just flips my fucking carrot top where I just go, I go into rage. I go into rage. And if I wasn't going into rage with such a safe person, it would be seen as complete lunacy. Mm. It would be seen as honestly a child tantrum. That's what it would be the equivalent to. But because I'm with someone that knows me (laughs) and I could be all the kinds of colors with, they let me have my, my little tantrum and it's, it's cathartic and it's healthy. And it, I don't know if it's healthy, but, but it, (laughs) it moves, it moves something in me that allows me to get to a different space. Yeah. Well, they, you know, as we're learning, um, through all sorts of professional support and conversation that, you know, when you are triggered, the thing you do first is react emotionally. Your emotional brain, your primal brain, not the logical brain. So there is a time, kind of like what you're saying, where you're you're like in rage mode. You're in head flipping mode. There's nothing that's going to be logically said to you that's going to bring you back to normalcy from your lunacy. You have to just get through that yourself. And each of us, I think all of us have to learn that our partners, two things. One, the things that happen with our partners or the people around us typically is not our fault. It's not based on what we did or didn't do. It's based on their reaction to a trauma. So until that person, including ourselves, come to the point of letting that emotional blast dissipate and then coming back to earth with the logical brain, but with some emotion, with empathy, coming back to the like, why did that happen? And that's a tool I think we all need to learn to do is, okay, I'm so sorry that I flipped out on you. And let me try to iterate why. Let me just try to share with you how I am feeling. You know, again, as as we all know, that perfect thing is you, it's not like you did, it's I feel, right? You did, you didn't is not the way to do. It's I felt like I dot 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 dot. You can tell the person in this situation that included you and I, this is how I was feeling when this thing was done, or you said this thing, I was triggered because of this. And that's a skill that so many of us don't learn and don't develop and hone. But it is super important, I think, for a lot of us in the non-binary community, especially when we're struggling with our identities. Like you said, it's so high stakes for us. It's our identity. It's our humanity, part of who we are. This is our humanity. That you're fighting for. Exactly. So it does seem very all or nothing, very high stakes, that the persons or people who are closest to us, who mean the most to us, who their validation is most important to us, for that, we can be pinpricked just a little and the entire balloon of confidence will burst for the person we know ourselves to be and need to be, but yet feel othered, feel disenchanted, feel like we're being ostracized by the people we feel should love us most. And it's a hard thing to climb back out of if you're not prepared and don't have the tools. It's it's very true. And I think the idea of, and I was just talking about this topic this week with my husband, the idea of needing therapy as a put down, seen as a put down. It's not a put down. 
it, that's dated. That's a stigma shit. Yep. Needing therapy is holy. It's a practice. It's something that we deserve because a lot of what happens to us in our life, we didn't consent to that shit. Mm -hmm. It happened to us. We are unprepared. No one asked our permission. And yet it was thrust upon us and we were forced to develop like you spoke about, or like we're talking about today, coping mechanisms to deal with it. Remind me what your therapist said in terms of like, what gave you this aha moment where you're like, holy shit. Yeah. This was like kind of introductory, like, Hey, talk about you and how are you and how do you do things and how do you see yourself? So I gave all those things about introspection and, you know, gaming out situations and being fairly stoic and, you know, blah, 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 all the things I said. And her response was, and she knows about Savannah, you know, so that's not an unknown in this case. And she's like, wow, that all kind of sounds like a lot of that was built from your childhood, just trying to protect yourself. Yeah. And to me, as someone who is very well versed in therapy, that is so fundamental. Yes. I don't yeah. even want to use the term as obvious. No, but, like, but you said it. I mean, fundamental. Yeah. It's, before you even said fundamental, <laughs> I, I knew you were going to say fundamental because it is so obvious and like, yeah, of course. I mean, yeah. And that's why people say, I never felt I needed therapy. And that that's the missing the mark piece. Mm -hmm. That's the part that, you know, if something like that is so mind blowing, that just shows how far removed we, I'm not going to say you, we <laughs> are from like the core of our truth. Yeah. And how we can go move around this planet being so asleep, sleepwalking through life, thinking, thinking that we nailed vulnerability. Yes, nailing <laughs> it. I have a plus in social emotional development. Who needs therapy? I am my own therapist. And so what is so humbling is when a therapist can, she doesn't really have to say much. Just hold up a mirror to yourself and say, well, it sounds like mm -hmm. this is this. It sounds yeah. like the sky is blue. Right. It sounds like a tomato's red. And you're like, a tomato is red, you know, and, and it's so common and it's so normal. It's not something that you should ever be made to feel stupid about. It's just, it just shows like, when we think we're nailing it at life or when we think we're really good at certain things, it's like, yes, we are, but there are the other things. What about the other parts of it that are so um, readily available and have been waiting for you to just be there? Like what about little Savannah, mm -hmm. six-year-old yeah. Savannah and just the idea of, and I keep on as we're, as we're unpacking this episode, I keep on getting this vision of you going to meet with the therapist, just you, and dressing and sitting there across from the therapist and the therapist very gently saying to you, what does six-year-old Savannah need? And this could be something that would be a break in the conversation as therapists do responding to something you had said that maybe feels like it, it comes from a younger place. Mm -hmm. um, it can be common for a therapist to say, 
how old are you right now? Or how, how old do you feel when you just said that to me? And you kind of having to unpack that. And it's, it can feel unnatural. It can feel really strange and odd. But those kind of conversations with yourself and that kind of attention towards your inner self and your little tiny princess heart, that is what's going to make an entire galaxy of a difference in terms of how you live and love and how you show up in the world and how you let down your defenses and say, wow, I'm, I don't want to, I don't need to fight anymore just to exist. I need to scoop my little self up in my arms. And this is the Savannah that before I even knew who Savannah was, what do they need? Because if you're truly transgender, if you're truly dual gender in the way that you are and believe you are and know that you are in, in the insides of it and in the guts of it, that little toddler, middle schooler, high schooler has a voice that has not been talked to in a very long time. And that's what's good about therapy is they, they can see that child and talk to that child when you're ready, when you're open, when you're available. Right. And I want to say one thing is so funny. You're, you're hitting all the notes right before I'm ready to say it. You don't want to fight anymore. Right. And I think a lot of the lives of non-binary gender diverse people is always about focusing on the fight. Yeah. Not that we want to fight, but we are bracing for a fight. And I think that is something like you had said, if we speak to the inner child, and scoop that inner child up, our little princess and princes, and carry them with love and protection going forward as adults, you don't have to worry about fights in a lot of ways. Like you don't have to worry about proving yourself as a human being every second of every day, just to validate your own existence. You know, a lot of times if you stop focusing on the fight or preparing for the fight, you can just live. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, who are you living with? Yourself, with who you are as an entity. And yes, you're going to come against people who don't like you, who think that you shouldn't exist. Well, then you extricate yourself from those situations and move and find your community, find the people that you can be vulnerable with, find those people that you can be yourself. And eventually you're going to find that, you know what? I don't have to prove myself to everybody anymore. I just have to prove myself to myself. And if I build the trust. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things I'm talking about and working on in my third book is the idea of self-concept. I think we've kind of been touching on this in the last few weeks. And I'm all like super geared up because I'm like getting close to finishing uh, this draft. The idea of self-concept is twofold. One, it's how you see yourself now, which is your the reality self-concept and the ideal self-concept is like, who do you want to be? Who are you striving to be? Who is your truth? And how far away are you from your current self-concept and how aware you are of it and that ideal that you're striving for? But unfortunately, our self-esteem is affected by that. The perception of how we think people respond to us or react to us can lower self-esteem, lower self-confidence. Um, in the more self-aware you are of yourself and your surroundings and how you act and how people act, 
that will also affect how you see yourself and your perception of self. So there's all sorts of selfs going around here. I apologize, but it's so critical for this growth to realize, you know what, maybe we should just retire from the armed forces and just learn to just live for ourselves and know that we are enough and we are more than enough. And who would we be if we didn't have to defend ourselves Mm -hmm. to survive? Yeah. Who would we be if we didn't have to apologize for a lot of self-love? So true. I mean, and how does what your therapist said to you this past week, how will it affect this next book? And how will it infuse this idea of self-concept that you've been so pumped on and so passionate about? How will it infuse things for you in your life? And these aren't questions that I want answers from you, Savannah. These are questions that I'm curious about because you had a breakthrough in therapy. And this is something that doesn't happen weekly. It really doesn't. But when it does happen, you want to hold it by the tits and say, how the fuck, fuck, like this makes every single thing different. Yeah, It's kind of like Brene Brown when she studied behavior and connection and, and she said her, her theory before she had this breakthrough or breakdown was if you can't measure it, it doesn't exist. Mm. That was her thing. And then she learned that vulnerability and connection and all the things that matter, you can't measure it. You can't. So that led to her TED Talk in in vulnerability. That led to her unpacking shame. That led her to throw out all the fucking research. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And develop a new course of action and a new way of viewing this stuff. Because I know this third book has a lot of research in it and it has a lot of different concepts of of why things are at least this is what i've gathered from what you've told me and really diving deep within all these concepts but it would be a miss not to be like oh my god like not to see the irony and not to see the kind of opportunity in looking at something like self-concept, which is a word that I really don't know much about beyond what you've told me. I, I haven't delved deep. Mm-hmm. But to use this therapeutic moment to just let it just kick ass for your third book and just, I don't know, I'm I'm really excited to see what you come up with in this third book based on the journey you're, you're on. And you're bringing us all along the way. And we really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I know that I'm not alone. I mean, you and I both know all about therapy and what we're trying to get out of it and what we've experienced. And I would like, like you said, hope that people don't see therapy as a bad word. Like, go do it, man. If you can do it, do it. It doesn't have to be, I need to understand my gender. It could just be like, you know what? I get really mad when this happens. You know, let's unpack that. You know, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It could be situational. It could be that one thing that's nagging at you. Why why do I get so angry when I'm driving? It could be a hundred things that you focus on, but every little thing you focus on and kind of unpack, you will find there are bigger things. It's, It's like the tip of the iceberg. A lot of the trauma is not seen. You only see what's shown to you. 
And if you're like going off the deep end and it looks like lunacy to anybody other than your husband, well, that may be true, but that's only a little piece of it. And obviously Scott knows much greater depth of what makes you tick. And also the freedom to be able to be your whole self for someone, even the parts of yourself that are unpopular, not buttoned up correctly, edgy and unkind and all all that stuff is, is what makes therapy great is that you can show up and you don't have to, you can get messy. You're supposed to get messy. I mean, I have been being a really good student and nailing it in therapy for a while, but I was missing the moment. I was, I was trying to read my therapist and, you know, all this emotional stuff. And now only now after years and years with the same therapist, do I feel safe to be like, okay, not this is what's really going on, but this is how I'm feeling today. And no, I can't talk my way out of it. I can't emotionally score high in the stratospheres because I know why I did what I did. You know, like to go in there and be like, all right, I'm here. I've sitting down, but we're not going to talk about any childhood stuff. That's all good. We're just going to go straight for the here and now. I mean, it's a joke. I thought my childhood was okay, right? Julie, you and I talked about it several weeks ago about how I finally realized that the words that my parents said about other people influenced how I interacted with them as a gender diverse child. Yes. And I didn't even think about that. I am over 50 years old and I really never put that two and two together. So that wasn't even in therapy. That was just like an aha moment to myself going, oh shit, that actually happened. Of course it's going to impact me. How could it not impact me in some way, knowing that those words made me backpedal and say, eh, I'm going to keep this to myself? Yeah, or I'm not going to feel this. It's too painful. Yeah. It was good enough. It was fine. I was loved. You know, you know, you go down the checklist because it's too painful for someone to say, I I wasn't loved in the way I needed. And that thing that happened to me wasn't okay. And I didn't do anything yeah. wrong. Like, mm-hmm. just, you know, like going yeah. through different moments that you okayed it for yourself. So you said, oh, it's okay because I'm strong or it's okay mm-hmm. because I'm the brother, I'm the boy, I'm the, the, it wasn't okay. No. And I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Thank you. I appreciate that. A lot of unpacking, just again, that aha moment really unpacked a lot of things. Judy asked me, it's like, why don't you call your parents more? And because I've always been kind of distant from my parents as an adult, yeah. kind of distance from distant from my nuclear family. And I was like, oh, that's just, you know, boys do that. You know, they kind of go off and do their thing and create their own worlds. And, you know, that's just a boy thing. Sons do that. And I'm realizing, no, probably because I was getting semi-conditional positive love from my parents and sometimes conditional love from my parents, it probably had a very adverse effect on how much effort and love I want to give back. Right. Because they had their time. Yeah. They did a number on you. And, you know, if if it's safe for you to just call them on holidays or, or whenever it is, so be it. If that's something you want to get, quote, better before it's too late, well, then that's the work. But 
even that I'm indifferent with, unfortunately. Exactly. There's yeah. no point. You're not doing it anything wrong by not. That that's the part that I want you to hear is do I want to have a better relationships with my brothers? Yes. Yes. Do I want to be closer? Yes. But the trauma inside me and the survivor inside me, it's really hard to build that bridge. Mm-hmm. To build that bridge of connectivity. And that's why when something happens like a move or a death, or an excuse to just bring people together in your nuclear family that wouldn't be together. It is both a healing and it it forces you to kind of have these moments that you normally wouldn't in your day-to-day because shit, it's hard. And you have enough undoing. There's enough damage that they've done over the course of your life that if you have the opportunity to ask them the questions about in therapy and say, you know, remember them when this happens, that really hurt me. Oh yeah. That we'll never get to that point. Um, And again, in my first TEDx, we talked about that, right. We talked about if my parents ever found out, I would just deal with it at that moment in time. But I, you know, it, in my life, I have so many, my dad's very proud of me of the books I've written as, as Chuck. But where where does most of my, I don't want to say celebrity, but most of my advocacy in actually impacting people's lives in a positive way don't come from those fictions. They come from living with Crossroads and they come from this podcast. They come from me traveling um, to do workshops and doing TEDx talks. I would love to be able to share that with my parents, but why? And so that hurts too. Just the idea of that, like, I know I can't, or at this point in time, it's really not worth the misery I can face. It's just unfortunate. And the the thing that I wrote on the card, I have this note card. Normally I have a piece of paper that I doodle on throughout the episode and I write (laughs) little notes. But when you said that Judy had asked that, I, I wrote this quote that says, because I'm queer because I'm queer. And that to me, it's a stop sign. It's a punctuation Mm -hmm. that if you are queer, gender queer, if you are a part of the queer community, it's this unspoken understanding that says, here is your family. We are the world. We are your family that loves and accepts and embraces you. You had to grow up in this home. Now you've grown up. And now you found your family and you don't ever have to go back there. Mm -hmm. You can be selective. But as someone who is born with a queer heart, we have to find our own family who will see and who will love us and who will accept us. And not everyone may understand the queer journey. And it's not our job to explain it to them. Right, which goes back to what you read at the onset from Instagram. It's like, you know, that was, it may not be animosity that, you know, made that divide, but it might be not understanding the community, not being ready to face that fact. And, you know, we have to, we have to gravitate to those people that will love and cherish and validate us in all ways, not just in most ways, but in all ways, if possible. And you know who I love and cherish in all ways? Well, who's that? You, you ah. little cutie. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I was just going to say, I love you. And then you did the like Barney impression or whatever that was. And I just got a jolt of vomit in my, right there, my throat chakra. I will not be doing that. But this was a very healing episode. I know for me, I can speak for myself. I felt a tremendous amount of healing. So thank you for being vulnerable enough to bring this to our listeners and our beautiful podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And again, I urge anybody who is thinking their lives were perfect in every way, um, they probably weren't. You know, I thought I thought as much growing up. I thought mom was fairly, you know, benign, nothing bad, nothing great, but whatever. But yeah, I think we all should do not just investigations of the heart for today and tomorrow, but maybe look at the past a little bit because that child, that inner child, uh, people kind of think it's funny. It's like, oh, my inner child, my little girl, my little boy. You don't realize just how much pain your inner child is a lot of the times, especially for us in the community. So treat your inner child with love and empathy and let that inner child know that you are there to protect them. Listen to them when they cry and when they yell and when they're scared. But as an adult, as the adult version, you can soothe them in many times in many ways, but just don't turn a deaf ear because what they have to say is important. It is. And when they are ready to talk to you, they will, Mm -hmm. you know, if you ask your inner child a question and you sit quietly and you breathe, know that they will answer you when they are ready and continue to ask that inner child what they need because gentleness and patience and love and kindness is something really needed. It's really needed, especially when we can be so hard on ourselves and we can put so much pressure on ourselves. I read this quote once that you parent yourself the way you were parented until you don't anymore. And I think that that's really important because I, I know for me, I tend to put a a lot of pressure on myself and be really rough with myself to be quicker, more organized, I feel. And it just, it's a disservice because been there, done that, and we're trying to undo it. So there you go. Big love for you, Savannah. I'm sending you little hearts. Aw, I love you. Love you too. And thank you for listening to me tonight and being a part of it. Always. All right. Bye for now. Until next time. You can find me on Facebook at Savannah Hawk or at Living With Crossdressing and on Instagram at Savannah Hawk. Remember, that's H-A-U-K. And to learn more, go to my website, livingwithcrossdressing.com. And you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Fox and Hanger or at Julie MTF Style, as well as on our website at foxandhanger.com. Julie, it's your moment. Fox and the Phoenix podcast uses Anchor copyright 2023. Yes, nailed it. If you enjoy our content and want to make it easier for others to find us, please share with your friends. Tap the subscribe or follow button to the show wherever you're listening. Give it a five-star rating or leave a review. And for show ideas or comments, contact us through the podcast on Facebook at Fox and Phoenix Podcast 
or on Instagram at the Fox and the Phoenix podcast underscore.